The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Today we're going to talk about opportunities. Um, And we're talking of opportunities from the perspective of the fact that in a lot of cases, these opportunities do not look like opportunities. But before going into it, we want to hear what the scripture says about the word opportunity. We are going to define from the dictionary very common um, definitions of the word opportunity. We will go into the Bible and take some Bible verses, some Bible stories, and look at them and see if we're able to identify them as opportunities. We will take our own definition from what I think the Bible is telling us about opportunities and a few more things and we will be done. So we're going to start with what does the Bible say about opportunities. Ephesians 5, 16 to 17 says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. 17 goes ahead to say, don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. So what are these opportunities that God is saying we should make the most of in these evil days? How, what is the definition of an opportunity? What does it mean when we say opportunity? We use it a lot in different contexts. But what does it mean? How do we have a common understanding of the word opportunity? Hopefully CMM is going to put on the screen um, some five different definitions of the word opportunity thank you and they're long so you can just take a picture and so that we can we can move on from here or or if you write very fast you can write very fast but you know from from these examples which are definitions from the dictionary opportunity can be described as a favorable situation for a positive outcome In some other ways, it can be described as a favorable juncture of circumstances or a chance for employment or promotion. So they'll tell you they have job opportunities or promotion opportunities. Um, It could also be described as a set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. Last definition for now is an that opportunity is an appropriate or favorable time or occasion. You know, all these definitions, you see the word positive, you see the word favorable, you see favorable time, favorable location, favorable circumstances. And because um, most of the time we define opportunities this way, I think that sometimes there's some situations that should have been opportunities, but we don't see them as such because our paradigm is seeing something that, are, that is an opportunity as something that is favorable. My time has come. This is my season because I see things working in my favor. You know, my position today is that even though things might not be exactly working in your favor, your time might have come. But it's because you are thinking of opportunities in this perspective, positive, favorable. You can't, you can't really realize that you're already in your time and your season because it does not look favorable. So we're going to try and change our mindset a little by looking into some problem situations in the Bible. There are like about three or four examples which we will agree jointly that are difficult situations. But when we get to the end of that um, opportunity, we'll realize that actually there were opportunities that we saw as problems. The first is we find in John 1, book of John chapter 4, 1 to 42, which we're not going to read, but please write down so you can read it later. And it's a problem. Um, the problem is what I would describe as a scandalous problem. We see here um, a man of God, a mighty man of God, a teacher, a rabbi, who is Jew and knows better than to be talking to a Samaritan woman. But this man, thank you, thank you, 
But this man was one afternoon standing by a well talking to a Samaritan. Now, for you to understand the, I don't want to use the word enmity, but the fact that um, Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. If you had come to thrive, the series, you know, the early part of John, when Papi was talking about how Jews, they want to get from one part to the other. Instead of them to go through Samaria, which is the shortest cut, no. Because they did not want to be tainted by this dirty, in quote, unspiritual people, they will go and take the long route so that they won't have to pass through their land or come into contact with Samaritans. That is how much Jews despised Samaritans. But here was Jesus, a man of God, that had a huge following, obviously was God himself, standing by a well talking to a Samaritan woman. And not a normal Samaritan woman. No, why did I use normal? She, she was normal. But not a usual Samaritan woman. This was a woman that had been married five times. I was now re- living with someone that wasn't her husband. So by all, even in these days, she will be considered a very scandalous woman. You know that, I'm sure that even most of her people look down on her. That, mm. But Jesus, that was a Jew. Number one, he was a man of God. He was a Jew was now talking to this scandalous woman and asking her for water. That did not look like an opportunity for salvation. It did not look like an opportunity for evangelism. But by the end of that story, what happened from a set of unfavorable circumstances, something that under normal circumstances would have turned into a scandal. You know, the Bible says that when the disciples came, even though they did not have the guts to ask Jesus, they were thinking in his mind, why is he talking to a woman? But I'm sure that they were thinking for them on that. Why is he talking to such a, I don't want to describe her, woman, XYZ woman. So if Jesus' disciples that loved him and they were as close to him had that thought in their head, think of the Ame boy in the village. It would have been the greatest scandal of their times. But God turned it into an opportunity. By the time, by the time she went to the village to go and tell them about him, it started an unplanned two-day evangelical crusade. That's what the Bible says. That by the end of it, many people came and they said, we believe you are the son of God. From an encounter that was not meant to end well. Your opportunity, the opportunity, many opportunities in this room. They don't look like what you are expecting. But that's why they are the big opportunities. The one that costs a whole village to know Christ. The second one we find in um, Luke 5. Another very familiar story. And, you know, this story, my, God keeps on teaching me. I, I know there's a lot for me to learn from this particular story. And I, and I think for a lot of us, to learn about this particular story that we're very, very familiar with. We've heard it many times. Yeah, no. If you know, even in, from Sunday school, you would have heard this story. So I know we've all re- heard it. We'll read it at home in Luke 5. But this is a story of a team of experienced fishermen. And their partners that obviously knew what they were doing. And, you know, from the scripture, we know that they owned their own boat. So it means that, you know, they've been doing this for a while and they've made success in the past. But we meet them at a time that they were failing. They had gone on the sea all night and they had caught nothing. The Bible says they toiled all night. So it means that they were not just sitting on the boat and just chilling. They were on that boat casting out net, empty. Casting out net, empty. Let's move forward. They kept on casting. But they came back probably dejected, definitely tired. So whilst they put their boats, put, pushed their boat to shore, left it there, and they were washing their nets, preparing for the next day, even though they had failed, some carpenter, former carpenter, that was now a miracle worker, the son of God himself, came, walked over to Simon Peter's boat, and asked Simon Peter, push me into the water. And I asked this question in the morning, and I'm asking again, because we need to bring the Bible home to us in our practical situations. You have worked double shift. 
you are angry, you are tired. You have not sold anything in your shop all day. Somebody now comes when you are about to close and says, open your shop. I want to preach in your shop. Will you answer? Even if you answer, because you're, I don't even know, I don't know how many people in this room will answer if we're being truthful to ourselves. That was the scenario. So Jesus, from what we've read, even though the Bible doesn't give us hours, in, well, in some cases it, it, it describes how long Jesus preached. We know that pre- Jesus preaches long sermons because he himself is the word. So I can imagine Jesus talking. He will just be flowing because he is the word. So he probably preached for maybe two or three hours. Remember, they told all night. So it was almost done. And this man took three, maybe, I'm, I'm the one saying three hours, but let's just imagine he took two or three hours. And then when he finishes, finishes preaching, he then says to experienced fishermen, this was a carpenter, that's what he did, and that's how they knew him before he became a man of God. Carpenter. Now said, carry your boat, launch into the deep and cast your net. That was not a favorable circumstance. There was nothing positive about that outcome. All those definitions we used, it could not have worked if we were look, if Simon Peter was looking at it from the eyes of the ordinary. But we know how that story ended. We know that by the time he cast his net, or they cast their net, the Bible keeps on saying they in the Luke account. So maybe Simon Peter and his brother. By the time they cast their net, they caught fish that was so, their net, they couldn't even carry it into the boat. So they looked back and they called their partners on the other boat, that on the other boat from the shore, to come and help them. The Bible says both boats nearly got sunk because of the catch they caught. After hours, number one, it was not the right time to catch fish. Because like I said earlier, for some reason, I don't know, I really don't know the reason, maybe I should find out, but the, the commercial fishermen fish at night. Earlier on, I suggested that maybe because fish will be sleeping and it will be easy to catch them. I don't know if fish sleep, by the way. But I know that it's probably due to the fact that things are calm around the fish. And, you know, there's not noise, and so it's probably easy to catch them. Things were not calm at this time. Jesus had just finished preaching to a crowd. It was almost morning. This experienced fisherman knew that that was not the time to fish. But when Jesus told them to cast out their net, they did and they got a harvest that they had never, it changed their life. They were never the same after that. Your opportunity does not look, might not look like what you expect it to be. I said earlier that I, I, I caught one thing, you know, while reading this verse and it took me back to the connectivity app. I really like the connectivity app. And it was that the the Bible says that they called their partners that were still at the shore. Now, it was Simon Peter's boat that Jesus was using. He had nothing to do with the partners. I'm sure they had finished washing their net. They could have gone home, but they were waiting. Now, if you are in the company of good friendships, good relationships, good connections, there will be some blessings that will be triggered by no effort of yours that you will enjoy. Because they did nothing. It was Simon Peter that pushed. It was Simon Peter that obeyed. But just because they were around the right people and they were partnering with the right businesses, they enjoyed part of this blessing. It bears us going back and looking into our relationships. It bears us cultivating the right relationships and being there for their friends. If they had said, Simon Peter, you're on your own, oh, good night. And they had every right to say that because they were all tired. They would not have enjoyed out of these blessings. But they did because they were at the right place at the right time with the right people. God will let, help us be at the right place, at the right time, and with the right people in the mighty name of Jesus. Our next problem situation is from Genesis 37 and 41. Um, we're not going to read that because they're very long chapters, but please read them. It's a very familiar story as well. A lot of us, I know everyone here is praying for promotion in one shape way, shape, or form. And some people are praying, you know, that they get jobs and stuff like that. And we have our, in our mind, the kind of job we want. You know, you kind of know what you want or what you would like to have. And that's what's in your mind. Even when you're praying, you're praying for a specific job and there's nothing wrong with that. But then in some, in some circumstances, some promotions 
or some jobs are triggered in a way that you would never have believed that this is the job that you would, you know, end up being your destiny job. And that's the story we see here. A story that started with betrayal. A story that, you know, had imprisonment in the middle of it. But got to promotion that is one of the most amazing promotion stories that I know in the world. This young Jewish boy born into this family that knew the Lord because their father brought them up in the way of the Lord. But um, his brothers, well, his parents too had a bit to play in it because of the fact that they gave birth to him in an old age. You know, the Bible shows clearly that they favored him. And because they favored him, his siblings, you know how siblings can be. So one JJ afternoon, he was probably playing or chilling around the house. His father says, come and look for your brothers. They went pasturing. So he gets up out of duty and love for his brothers because he clearly loved his brothers. He went to go and look, go and check up on his brothers for his father. And then he got to where his brothers were supposed to be, the town of Shechem. And they were not there. The Bible account says that someone has to ask him, why are you wandering around? Because he was wandering around the countryside looking for his brothers. So he said, oh, I'm looking for my brothers. I don't know where they are. So that person said, oh, I heard them speaking. They are now in Dotham. So he traveled again. And the reason why I'm saying this, I'm, being, I'm, I'm bringing this story into contemporary terms, is that we need to be able to relate with these Bible characters so that we realize that, you know, there's some things that are going through we're going through in our lives now that look very difficult, but someone has been there. And because we know the end of their stories, it encourages us that if this could have been the end of this story, then mine will be good as well. So this loving younger brother carries his head. Remember, he would have probably been walking and travels, the Bible says travels to Dotham to look for his brothers. He was there coming to check up on them. They were there planning to sell him. So they sold him. And that would have been, in this day and time, the end of the story. Bim. It has happened. Ewo. If it was a Yoruba movie or a, an African magic, there would be a, you know, you know the theme songs. Somebody would have started singing one. But that was the first step to his promotion. Because at first, this young boy, and the Bible gives detail in that he was quite young, because his first job that was quite influential. Yes, he was a servant, but he was a servant in the house of an influential man. Yes, he went to prison in between. But by the end, he was prime minister in the most, it was, the, it was like the U.S. So that's what Egypt was in those days. One of the most powerful nations of the world. That is how he ended. But his journey started from a terrible situation. A story of betrayal, a story of heartbreak. His father's heart was broken. A story of pain. You know, everybody would have given up. He's gone. He's a slave. But that was the first step to his promotion. There are many people here that are seated, probably in jobs they hate or jobs they don't even have. And as far as they're concerned, their story is difficult. We respect that. You are the one in the situation, so you are the one that we know how it feels. But we know of a man that started from slavery and ended as a prime minister. And we know his story did not look like an opportunity. So we're encouraging you today. You know, what I find most interesting about that story is that not only did he become prime minister, which would have been a big deal on his own. He saved the entire nation of Egypt from hunger and starvation. He saved his family and those his naughty brothers from hunger and starvation. And the message version of the Bible in 40, Genesis 41 verse 57 says, The famine was so bad that the whole world was coming to buy supplies from Joseph. The whole world. Now, we have planes and supersonic jets, and you can get to places quickly. These people were traveling, walking, going by sea, going on horses from different parts of the world to go and buy food from one person that started as a slave boy. Be encouraged. Your story is going to end well in the mighty name of Jesus. Another story 
is from Genesis 26. That was a problem story. I mean, reading the story, you don't see any positive at all. This was a man um, whose father had gone through the same thing that he was going through. He was in a land that had suddenly had adverse economic conditions. The land went into famine. And the first thing he did was, I'm, I'm sure in his head, he just thought, this is the formula my father used. When the land was in famine, my father moved to Egypt. And I'm sure that's what he was going to do. Because the Bible says that he got up and moved to Gerar. Um, this is Genesis 26. But we're not going to read it. But God spoke to him and said, don't go to Egypt. Stay in this foreign land. And every blessing I've called upon your father will be yours. I'll give you this land. You know, God spoke to him in such an amazing way. Renewing covenants with him. Now, we need to realize that it could not have been favorable for him to stay in this place. Why? We know that he was scared. And we know he was scared because he told them his wife was his sister. And while it's easy for us to laugh at, you know, well, judge him, a part of me in my head was like, how can you do that to your wife? Because, you know, you expose that to danger. But the truth of the matter is that they were in difficult times. Why, why do I think they were in difficult times? Because I know that sometime in the 80s, and I'm not going to mention the name of this country, but I'll describe them until, no, until you know who I'm talking about. A particular neighboring country, a lot of them were in the country, in our country, and we did such a disgraceful, shameful thing because we did not want them. We thought that they were taking our resources, our blessings. And these people, we got them out of the country. If you know this bag, this carrier bag that shall not be mentioned, it is white, blue, red, striped. If you know the name of that bag, you will remember the circumstance I'm talking about. But that is the reaction of every country when things are bad. They're like, go back home. You hear it in the news. They're saying it to some of the people that are colored like us in other parts of the world. Go back to your country. Leave our own country alone. Why? Because in a time of difficulty, people just want to grab all they want. They don't want other people to come from places and come and share with them. This was the situation Isaac was in. And this is one of the reasons why he was scared. It was not a favorable place for him. It was definitely not a positive set of circumstances. You would not have expected anything good to come out of that problem. But because God was with him, in a land that had famine, he's, he planted and his crops grew a hundredfold. It is extremely possible for God to bless us in the middle of difficult times. And we, it, if God is telling you, stick with it, he has a plan for you in that situation. And that's what happened. God blessed him so much that they deported him. They closed his well. They told him to leave their country. That is deportation. He left and God still continued blessing him. But God ensured that the king of that country came to meet him where he was. To come and sign a peace treaty with him because he is God. So there are many, many situations that do not look favorable and certainly cannot be called opportunities if we're using the regular definition of opportunities we find in the dictionary. That's why our working definition for opportunities in this session will be taken from business.com, businessdictionary.com. I think that particular definition aligns with a lot of these stories that we've read that are problems. They look like problems on the outside, but inside those problems, the opportunities reside. This definition, I think they put on the screen, and please write it down or take a picture, is um, defines opportunities as an exploitable set of circumstances with uncertain outcome, requiring commitment of resources and involving exposure to risk. You know, if you look at this definition, there was nothing positive, favorable, sounding nice about the definition. But I think it's the most realistic definition of some of the opportunities that we're faced with. We're going to take four elements out of it. Exploitable set of circumstances is the first. The second element is uncertain outcome. 
The third element is it requires commitment of resources. And the fourth element is that it would require exposure to risk. Before we go ahead, I know that exploit has such a negative connotation around it. But um, the English dictionary defines exploit. There are many definitions of exploit. I'll use two. One is positive, one is negative. We're using the positive context of exploit in this, in this um, session. You know, and it means that, it could mean that um, you use something in a way that best works for you. That best helps you. You know, take a circumstance and you get the best out of it. It is exploiting the circumstance, but in a positive way. But it could also mean that you take advantage of people. But that's not, we're talking, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about taking a circumstance and looking at a bad situation and saying, situation, you look bad. But I'm going to make all things, God is going to make all things in this situation work well for my good. That is positive exploitation of a circumstance. So let's take those four elements. And I think the only way I can explain this, because it was quite difficult for me to explain what is burning deep in my heart, um, apart from using another Bible story. So we'll use a, a very familiar Bible story, a romantic Bible story, to explain these four elements. Um, my prayer is that as we explain these four elements with this Bible story, that God will begin to open our hearts and remind us of many things that you know have come we have come across and we have given up on or many dreams is put in our hearts and we have called impossible because the situation is not favorable because the circumstances are not positive but if we read through this story and we take this element from this story hopefully we'll be able to apply them to our real life situations so that we will get testimonies from what could have been described as problems. Amen. So this love story is found in Genesis 24. And the preamble to it, we're going to read Genesis 24. But the preamble to this love story is that um, there was a very wealthy, blessed man. You know, you know the man because every time you mention his name, blessing is the next thing that you will link to his name. He had a covenant with God. He was old. And he had this son that he really loved, that he wanted to marry from home. He was specific about the man, the, his son, not marrying from the foreign land, amongst the local Canaanite women. That's how he described them. So he called his servant, who was running his household, and made him swear a covenant to go back home and go and look for his people, look for a wife amongst his people for his son. This servant had... A difficult set of instructions. The first thing he was supposed to do was travel home, go and look for a wife. That wife would, of course, be expected to follow him back. Imagine this. Someone arrives from, I don't know, Kutonu, comes to your house, wants to marry your daughter, and take your daughter to Kutonu to somebody you have not seen in years. That's the scenario we're setting here. So he said, what if the girl doesn't want to follow because where we are is very far. The, the father says, and this is Abraham, by the way. Abraham says, don't take my son there. Under no circumstances should you take my son there because of the covenant I have with God. So the situation was even made more difficult because he couldn't take the groom with him while looking for the wife. It was an impossible, as far as I'm concerned, extremely difficult situation. Maybe not impossible, but extremely difficult situation. So we'll read the story and we'll go back to how those criteria, how I see the Abraham servant using this definition to identify an opportunity and zooming in into that opportunity. We're reading Genesis 24, 34 to 67. It's a long read, so bear with me. Verse 34 says, um, I am Abraham's servant, he explained. And the Lord has greatly blessed my master. He has become a wealthy man. The Lord has given him flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, a fortune in silver and gold, and many male and female servants and camels and donkeys. 
when Sarah, my master's wife, was very old, she gave birth to my master's son. And my master has given him everything he owns. And my master made me take an oath. He said, do not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my father's house, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son. But I said to my master, what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to go back with me? He responded, the Lord in whose presence I have lived will send his angel with you and will make your mission successful. Amen. Yes, you must find a wife for my son from among my relatives. From my father's family. Then you would have fulfilled your obligation. But if you go to my relatives and they refuse to let her go with you, you will be free from my oath. Verse 42. So today, when I came to the spring, I prayed this prayer. Oh Lord, God of my master, Abraham, please give me success on this mission. See, I am standing here beside this spring. This is my request. When a young woman comes to draw water, I will say to her, please give me a little drink of water from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink, and I will draw water for your camels too, let her be the one you have selected to be the wife of my master's son. Before I had finished praying in my heart, I saw Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. So I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jug from my shoulder and said, yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too. So I drank and she watered the camels. Then I asked, whose daughter are you? She replied, I am the daughter of Bethuel and my grandparents are Nahor and Milcah. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. Then I bowed low and worshiped the Lord. I praise the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, because he has led me straight to my master's niece to be his son's wife, his son's wife. So tell me, will you or won't you show unfailing love and faithfulness to my master? Please tell me yes or no, and then I'll know what to do next. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, the Lord has obviously brought you here. So there's nothing we can say. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard the answer, he bowed down to the ground and worshipped the Lord. We'll stop here. I think from everything we've read, we can agree that it was a totally difficult, his assignment was a difficult assignment. However, this Abraham's servant, if we read the whole chapter, the things that we can learn about how he um, approached this assignment. And those are the things that I'm hoping will help us going forward in mining our opportunities. The first thing I believe he did was that he looked at the difficult situation and saw how to exploit it. What do I mean? The Bible says he took the camels he made the camels kneel beside the spring because it was evening time and he knew that the girls, the young ladies were going to come out to fetch water. He did this first before he even prayed. He chose the right place at the right time because he was looking for a young woman to marry his master's son. He went to where young women will be at the time young women will most likely be there. That is exploiting a particular circumstance to our advantage. The second thing he did was that he prayed. And I believe that it was prayer that made all the difference in this case. Because what he was trying to do was extremely, <laughs> almost impossible. And in his prayer, he had a practical set of criteria. He, he prayed two things. He said that, let the girl, I will ask the girl to give me a drink of water. If the girl says yes, and goes ahead to say, I will give your camels water, 
let that be the girl that you've chosen for my master's son. Now, those two criteria were specific. He was looking for something different. He was looking for a woman, a young lady that was kind enough to give a stranger water. But a young lady that was also hardworking enough to give the camel's water. So I googled how many liters of water does a camel drink. Google's response was that camels, a regular camel drinks 200 liters of water. That is four jerry cans, 450 liter jerry cans of water. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say how many liters, but we're talking about regular camels. Now, Bible does tell us that this guy came with 10 camels. If Google is correct, if these camels were thirsty, because we know that there were 10 camels, we're talking about 2,000 liters of water. Rebecca said something that astounded me at the beginning. She said, I will give your camels water until they have had enough. That was some hardworking young babe. Because she knew camels. She grew up around camels. So she knew exactly what they would drink. He asked specifically, without saying give me a, a kind and hardworking girl. His, pr his prayer was, and you know it's not the prayer that answers prayers. It's God that answers prayers. But it was specific about what he was kind of looking for. And you would be, if we were going to go and marry, go and bring a perfect stranger to marry your master's son. Those are two things that I saw from the story from the exploitable um, set of circumstances. How we see a set of circumstances that look like a problem, but we, we break it down into how we can positively exploit that. And there's no way you can break down a difficult circumstance if one of your strategy, at least one, or the main strategy is not prayer. Because prayer is what made a difference here. The second thing, the second element, is that the outcome was uncertain. Clearly, the outcome was uncertain. What he was asking for was impossible. You are going to go and stand by a well. You are going to speak to a perfect stranger. You are going to ask that perfect stranger for water and for 2,000 liters of water for your camel. There was, there's nothing. There's, the chances, probability of this was one in 10, 10 billion, maybe. <laughs> what if no one answered him? What if it was only married women that came to fetch water that day? What if they were not even married, though, but they were not related to Abraham? Because that was criteria. What if they were related to Abraham and they did not offer him water? What if they offered him water and they did not offer the camel's water? The outcome of that um, experiment or the boldness journey he took, his initiative, was definitely uncertain. So are you sitting here with a project that has uncertain outcome, but God has told you to do it? Well, it looks absolutely difficult. Meet Abraham's servant, the man that had to ask a stranger for 2,000 liters of water. And be encouraged that yes, sometimes the outcomes are uncertain, but if it is from God, the result will be certain. Amen. And the reason why, you know, I believe that the outcome was uncertain because, was because the Bible says so. In verse 21, and please let's read verse 21, because this part, it pained me a little. The Bible says that after the servant watched her in silence, Wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. By this time, she had fetched water for all the camels. She had given him water already and he was still wondering if she was the one. Verse 20, 22. Okay, but as they bring verse 22 and 23 up, it was only after she, he asked her, who is your father? And she said, you know, I'm from this lineage. Did he believe that God had answered his prayer? So clearly it was an uncertain outcome for him, but he still went out being brave. And the reason, the only reason why I'm accentuating that is because it's easy to think that these people in the Bible had a certain formula. They didn't. 
they were uncertain about a lot of things were uncertain about. The difference between the people that were successful is that they heard from God and they moved out bravely and they got their outcomes. So if we hear from God and we move out bravely, our own story will be positive as well. Amen. The fourth element is that it involves exposure to risk. In this situation, all I see is risk. Strange man talking to young virgins by the water. What if the young boys in the village came to catch him for trying to steal there? I'm talking about practical things. It's true. It could have happened. What if Rebecca started shouting, Ole, Ole, kidnapper? It could have happened. What if she, she did not talk to him and just went to go and call the young boys in the village? There was risk in this. He was speaking to a perfect stranger. And in his mind, all he knew was that this is my mission. I must achieve my mission. But how he was going to achieve it, he had no way. Of ma- he had no assurance that he would even go back to his village. So the fact that the, the, the endeavor that God is placing in your heart, and I keep on saying God is placing in your heart because it's not every door you should open. The fact that that endeavor is risky does not mean it is not from God. Because if it was easy to get, how would you get the honey inside the rock? Because the people that were there before you would have taken it now. For you to get the honey inside the rock, your bad proverb says that you will not look at the mouth of your implement. It's difficult for a reason. It's difficult because it's special. If it is from God, if there is risk in it, you need to weigh with some criteria and go forward. The fact that the outcome is uncertain is not a reason for you not to do it. The fact that it's risky is not a reason for you not to do it. Because the fact that the set of circumstances don't look favorable is not a reason for you not to do it. The fact that, and I miss that, you would expend resources is not a reason why you would not do it. Because Abraham's servant expended resources. The first thing he did was that he got up from where he was and he traveled for a very long time. The second thing he did was that he didn't go there empty-handed. If you read the beginning of Genesis 24, these were 10 camels filled with expensive gifts. So it was costing them something. They were investing in it physically and financially. It didn't just fall onto their laps. So the fact that you have to invest in this opportunity is not a reason for you not to do it. The consideration for you not to do it is, is this of God or not? So I guess we have so far demonstrated that there are some impossible situations and problems that are opportunities hidden. They're disguised opportunities. The questions I certainly had, and some of you might have today, is how do I distinguish between a door God himself closed or a hidden opportunity? How do I know the difference? How do I even know if an opportunity, which is an open door, so I'm talking about the opportunity that everybody knows is an opportunity. How do I know that that opportunity is meant for me? It is not every open door you enter. It is not every opportunity that is in front of you that is for you. Or maybe it's even for you. It might not be for you at that time. So how do I know the difference? For example, I know I've used examples of people talking to people by the well. The first was Jesus. The second was Abraham's servant. For some of us, we have no business talking to strange women by the wells. You know, so that's definitely not an open door for you. It's probably an open door for somebody else. How do you know which one is your open door? How do I know that there's a gate in front of me? It's a difficult circumstance. How do I know that it's time for me to say, lift up your head, O ye gates? Maybe it's time for me to sit down and wait patiently because I've heard confirmation that I've opened a door before you that no man can close. Or run away from that door because behind that door is trouble for me. How do I know? How do I know which circumstance to positively exploit? 
Because if you take some circumstances and you positively exploit them, it is trouble and danger because they are not your doors. Many questions. How do I know God? The only way you can be sure about opportunities and the only, the first thing we need to check before we go bullishly into these opportunities is what is God saying about these opportunities? Because that's what determines whether you should chase it. Not if it is difficult or not. Most of the time, the first thing we do is, it's too difficult. It does not make sense for me to be selling water in this area. Everybody has a borehole. And God is saying, start a water business. But I can see the boreholes. Why am I going to start a water business in this area? And I just exit. Because from my own um, human perspective, most of the time, that's all we look at. Is it difficult? Is it easy? Does it make sense? But the first thing we should be looking at, is it God saying this? Is it God telling me to go? Regardless of if it's difficult or not. Bible has shown us many examples where they went forward. And this, it was success waiting for them at the end. So I have a set, some set of criteria. It's a longer list. I'm sure the next time Papi comes on stage and talks about this issue, you will have maybe a list of 20. My list is short. Um, but as I bring out this list, I'll just encourage people that are in this seated right now that don't hear from God to join NCR. NCR is our new creation reality set of classes. It's extremely important because by the time you are done with NCR, you will be able to identify God's voice and hear from him clearly in the mighty name of Jesus. It is impossible to be successful the way God wants us to be successful without hearing from him clearly. There is no way. You will not be sure which opportunity to follow or not. So as we end, I'll just put this list of questions that I think you should ask yourself when you're faced by a problem that could possibly be an opportunity in disguise. The first is, does it align with the word of God? It is impossible for God to contradict himself. So if this opportunity is telling you to do what God has said in his word that should not be done, then it is a closed door run. Don't exploit it. Don't exp expend resources. The outcome will be negative. It's not of God. The second thing is that sometimes you receive confirmations. Um, a lot of time when God speaks, he confirms it through other people. And it's not necessarily coming to say, verily, verily, I say unto you, the Lord said, no. That's not what we're talking about. But he'll confirm it. You might be listening to one worship song, and a sentence in that worship song suddenly makes sense to you. God is confirming something. I can't tell you how many times it's happened to me when the children come to minister here, you know that something that is a burden on my heart, it just becomes clear from a sentence from the worship song. Sometimes it's someone teaching. Sometimes you're listening to a message. Sometimes it's a clear prophecy or a word of wisdom that, but you get confirmation from God. The third thing is you need to check if it contradicts with God's purpose or calling for your life. For a lot of us, we're clear about what God is telling us. He's spoken to you. He has said, thou, Mary, you will be a missionary for me. You'll be in the villages taking the world for me. And Mary sees an opportunity that is taking her to Russia to go and walk in some city there. Mary needs to think clearly about the fact that well, she needs to hear from God. God might be taking her to go and land there, but to come to the village. But she needs to be sure that the open door that is in front of her does not contradict God's purpose for your life. Because God will not contradict himself. Does this opportunity require you to depend on God? In all the stories we've read, it was either God came through or nothing was going to happen. This hidden opportunities they are so impossible that it is all there's no plan b or plan c it will require you to depend on god if you can answer those questions to yourself clearly take that opportunity that plan that thing that is burning in your heart that you've forgotten 
that hope that lights up sometimes and you just kill it immediately that ah, it's not possible, it can't happen. Take them all back to God and ask God to speak to you clearly. And once you hear from God that go, go for it. Regardless of the fact that it's difficult or not, God is waiting for you at the other end to give you success. And God will make sure that in all our lives, every dream that we have suppressed, every plan that, you know, life has even taken, the reality of life has taken it away from our minds. God will bring them to our remembrance today in the mighty name of Jesus. And it will be faithful to ensure that they are completed in Jesus' mighty name. Please, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because we know that your word is life. In every life here that is seeing plenty problems, yet they're supposed to be opportunities. We ask that your life and light illuminate all our hearts today in the mighty name of Jesus and that we're encouraged to move forward. We pray for those that might be here that their opportunity is just to even accept you as their Lord and Savior. That is the opportunity that is available to them right now. But they're too scared because the outcome is uncertain. Because it involves a lot of risk. What will people say? Because it involves a lot of, for them to expend resources. Father, we ask... For, for, for boldness for them in the mighty name of Jesus. We ask, almighty God, that you shed your light into their lives right now and that your name will be uppermost in their hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. <laughs> On that note, I ask if there's anyone here that wants to give their lives to Christ, please, as you are seated, with all eyes still closed, raise up your hand to exploit this opportunity and, you know, to receive God into your life and get your life to change completely. It's very simple. All you're doing is accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior in order for your life to change um, completely. If you are there and you're raising up your hand, please raise up your hands properly. It looks as if you're putting your hand on your head. There are people at the back. Please raise your hands properly so that you can get a card. Father, we thank you for your children. We thank you because, you know, today is the beginning of a new chapter in their lives and the beginning of a fantastic opportunity. We pray that in Jesus' mighty name, this ones will be with you till the end and on the day of judgment, on that day, the final day, on the day that we're all receiving our crowns, their seats will not be empty in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed.